Okay, everyone. So, uh, welcome back again. And uh, we are going to move on to the next sutta, which ties in very nicely with the one we did yesterday. So, uh, again, just to remind you, we are looking at the idea of sense restraint, or, I mean, it's more than that. It's kind of a very large area of the Buddhist path, the idea of learning how to think in the right way, to see the world in the right way. It's a bit of sense restraint, a bit of right view, all kind of things coming together, really. The path is actually very, the factors are often much more involved in each other than it may seem. They're not kind of as separable out as they are when they are systematized in the Noble Eightfold Path. All the factors really work together in a very kind of complicated fashion. But um, it is, this really is uh, to do with right effort uh, mainly. So that's the main aspect we're looking at. And so yesterday we saw the idea of using uh, wisdom, uh, using reflection, uh, thinking about the world in, the, in a way whereby we overcome the hindrances on the path. Yeah? Not just hindrance on the path, it just makes your life better in a very general sense. And the idea of using wisdom uh, rather than willpower. Uh, and uh, so you can see what we are doing here. We are, first of all, we have the, uh, you need the factor of mindfulness to be able to see that there is a problem. Uh, then you have to use wisdom to understand that actually it is a problem. Yeah, it may not always be obvious. Uh, so we have to use our inquiring mind to understand these things and compare them to alternative or higher states of mind, etc. That's how we can understand that things that may seem pleasurable on the surface may be problematic, whereas other things that are pleasurable may actually not be problematic. So pleasure in itself is not wrong. We need to divide into good pleasure and pleasure that is more problematic. So mindfulness and then understanding the problem, and then we need a strategy or a tactical response how to deal with these things. And this next sutta is this idea of how do we deal with these things? Yeah, what is the kind of the uh, uh, the things that we can do, so to speak, uh, to overcome any problems that arise? Uh, this particular sutta, uh, uh, one of the, in my opinion, very useful suttas uh, uh, in a very for, for this kind of purpose, very practical, uh, and it is about how to overcome ill will or anger. Uh, it's called, called getting rid of resentment. Um, it's from the uh, numerical discourses of the Buddha, the chapter on fives, uh, the fifth chapter, 162nd sutta. So it's kind of tucked in there, kind of in a corner of the Pali Canon, but nevertheless, uh, it's an interesting sutta. So resentment here stands in for any kind of uh, ill will, irritation, any kind of that sort of, those sort of mind states uh, is all kind of included here in the idea of resentment. Uh, and uh, one of the, I think, important points to realize about overcoming ill will uh, is that it's not just a matter of overcoming these negative mind states, but part and parcel of that is actually developing the opposite. Uh, and the opposite here of resentment and ill will is metta, yeah, or, or friendliness, or loving kindness, and also compassion. Yeah? These are the two opposites of what we hear talk resentment in a broad sense. So it is not just overcoming one thing, it's actually developing the other. Two are almost inseparable. You can't really separate these things out. So uh, and as we shall see, the way that this is framed is precisely about developing the alternative, turning your mind around, seeing things in the opposite way, and as a consequence, overcoming the unwholesome qualities. So uh, let's see what this sutta has to say. This is uh, another sutta by the Venerable Sariputta, the Buddha's right-hand monk. And, uh, and there's uh, lots of suttas, uh, quite a large number of suttas uh, that he has spoken. So he was obviously considered very highly by the monastic community and in, indeed by the Buddha himself. Uh, he always spoke very highly of Venerable Sariputta. So this is how it goes. Uh, there, Venerable Sariputta addressed the mendicants. Reverends, mendicants, reverend, they replied. And Sariputta said this. Reverends, or venerables, or whatever, a mendicant should use these five methods 
to completely get rid of resentment when it has arisen towards anyone. What forever? In the case of a person whose behavior by body is impure, but whose behavior by speech is pure, you should get rid of resentment for that kind of person. In the case of a person whose behavior by speech is impure, but whose behavior by body is pure, you should get rid of resentment for that kind of person. In the case of a person whose behavior by body and speech is impure, but who gets an opening or openness and clarity of the heart from time to time, you should get rid of resentment for that kind of person. In the case of a person whose behavior by body and speech is impure, and who does not get an openness and clarity of the heart from time to time, you should get rid of resentment for that kind of person. And in the case of a person whose behavior by way of body and speech is pure, and who gets an openness and clarity of the heart from time to time, you should get rid of resentment for that kind of person. So that is the summary of the sutta. The uh, Buddha was a good uh, pedagogician, or whatever you call it, uh, and he, uh, so he kind of uses the standard ways of setting things out here as Venerable Sariputta, but it's the same principles being used. Uh, so you have a summary, and then you have the main content, and then sometimes you have a summary at the end again. Uh, and uh, this summary here, these five kinds of people that we are talking about here, and the reason why it is divided in this way is because the way we approach the person is slightly different depending on uh, the kind of person it is, the, the degree to which they have bad qualities, etc. But uh, the main point here is that all, everyone is included here. Yeah? There is no one who is excluded from this particular list. Uh, and uh, even if you have like your pet person that you really like to be upset with, uh, yeah, there is no grounds for that upset. You have to overcome even your pet uh, upsets with people, whatever that might be. And this is one of those great things in, the, in Buddhism or in any kind of spiritual life, is that uh, we cannot really afford to have any ill will towards anyone. Yeah? The idea to have ill will towards anyone or to have any enemies in this world or anyone you feel bad about is not really part of the spiritual path. The idea is, from our point of view, to be friendly with everyone. Of course, other people may not want to be friendly with you, but that's their problem, right? That's got nothing to do with you. Okay, so they want to be your enemy, okay, what can you do? Sometimes you can't do anything about it, but it doesn't really matter. Yeah, you learn to look at them in a positive way, even if they may have some resentment towards you. And this is, uh, this is very, um, can be challenging, uh, but very powerful, because when you have no enemies, uh, that's where metta, compassion, uh, that's where having a really expansive mind that incorporates the whole world, uh, where that becomes possible. Uh. But if you have like even one person you don't like, uh, then the idea of having an all-expansive expansive mind that encompasses the whole world, that is blocked off from you. You can't do that anymore. Uh. So we need to learn how to appreciate and look at people, uh, even the difficult ones, in a way where we can include them in the field of metta and kindness and compassion. Otherwise, we cannot reach the mahagata citta, the expansive mind, or the apamana citta, the measurable mind, and these sort of things. So, um, yes, that's just, this is why everyone is included, even the most dodgy characters. Actually, they're maybe not as dodgy as we think they are. So, we're going to find out. Page, we're on the next page, continuing from yesterday. I'm not sure which page that is, actually. 21, maybe, says some people say, yeah. <coughs> All right. So, let us start out and do these things in sequence. So, how should you get rid of resentment for a person whose behavior by body is impure, but whose behavior by speech is pure? Suppose a mendicant wearing a rag robe sees a rag by the roadside. They hold it down with the left foot, spread it out with the right foot, tear out the, what is intact and take it away with them. 
In the same way, at that time, you should ignore that person's impure behavior by body and focus on their pure behavior by speech. That is how to get rid, rid of resentment for that person. It's a very simple idea, yeah, really, really simple idea. And this is the idea to understand the complexity of people. Yeah, and uh, sometimes we like to kind of judge people. We either call, call them good or bad. But usually these kind of superficial judgments are very often inaccurate. Uh, everyone has both good and bad in them. Uh, well, maybe not everyone, but very almost everyone. Uh, and uh, for that reason, you know, we need to kind of evaluate people with more care and not kind of block things out because you decided you don't like somebody or you kind of put them in the bad person box and you don't really want to see the good qualities. That's usually uh, not a very kind of good way of regarding other people, but actually realizing that good and bad qualities are found in almost anyone. Uh, and so this is the idea of then shifting your attention away from the bad qualities uh, to the good qualities. And the way you do this is here, you know, uh, expressed very well in this simile of the rag-robed mendicant. Yeah, rag-robes, what does that mean? Well, it means that you have a, a robe which is basically made of pieces of cloth that you find anywhere. Yeah, wherever you go, you find pieces of cloth. And uh, it's quite nice. I used to have a rag-robe myself in the early days. And that's 20 years ago now, but uh, in the very start, it's kind of nice to have a robe made of rags. And uh, it's uh, kind of, you know, especially in those days, because in those days, cloth was much more expensive than it is now. These days, cloth is very easy to get hold of. The time of the Buddha, because everything had to be done by hand, and they had to be woven by hand, and all of these kind of things, uh, it was much more labor-intensive, and for this reason, much more valuable to have cloth. And uh, this is why rag robes were considered a good thing for monastics in those days. And these days, uh, I don't think rag robes are as important because cloth is not, doesn't have the same value. Still, it's kind of cool. Uh, you pick up a rag here, you pick up a rag there, yeah. And of course, you're always on the lookout for rags. So you're kind of walking down the road and then by the side of the road, you see a rag and you think, yay, a rag. And you're very happy with this rag. But the rags are very rarely pure cloth in the, you know, just perfectly good the way they are. They may have a part that is rotten, a part that is really dirty, and they may have a good part. Yeah? So you take the rag, you spread it out, you look at the whole rag, and then you take, you tear off those parts that are rubbish, and you throw them out. And uh, then you take the good part, and you carry it with you. And it's the same thing with the qualities of other people. Yeah, it's this idea that uh, what we do is we take kind of the person, we look at the, all the qualities in the person, yeah, uh, kind of a spreadsheet of, of qualities, uh, and then you write them all out. Uh, and Ajahn Brahm has this idea, you write it on toilet paper, yeah, that's kind of his idea. Uh, and then you tear off the part, all the bad qualities, all the bad qualities on the left side, all the good qualities on the right side. Uh, you tear off all the bad qualities, uh, chuck it in the toilet, uh, and you flush it down. Uh. Why? Because it's rubbish. Focusing on all these bad qualities in other people, thinking about that is rubbish because it pollutes your mind. For you, it is rubbish. Yeah, it has bad effects on you if you focus on them, especially if you focus on, on them in the wrong way. Like it makes you angry and upset and these kind of things. And so this is basically what you do. You learn to shift your attention. And to be able to do this, what we have to do is we have to learn to see the good in other people. Yeah, especially if there are people in your life that you find difficult, you learn to see the good qualities. It is very useful on a retreat such as this one to see the good in the people around you because it's very easy to get irritated by little things. Yeah? And this is just the way it is when you hang around with lots of people and everyone has their own habits and their own ways of doing things. People are going to irritate each other. That's just the way it is. The only exception is Venerable Kaliko. He's never irritating here. He just goes into his room and disappears, and then it's kind of, it's marvelous. <laughs> so, say again? And gives the page number. So he's actually, it's not just not irritating, it's actually positive. Yeah, you're right. I, I forgot about the positive side again. That's not... <laughs> 
But everyone can be irritating, yeah? I, I can't remember ever being irritated by my color code. I'm sure if I really tried really hard, I might be able to dredge something up from my memory deep down somewhere. But uh, I don't really want to dredge those things up. So um, the point is, yeah, you remember the good in the people around you. Huh? And when we are on a retreat like this, you see the people who are here. And it's wonderful to be in such good company. Huh? Wonderful to be with people who keep the eight precepts. Wonderful to be be with people who want to do something good for themselves and for the world around them. Yeah, people who are generous, who are kind, who all of these things. What a wonderful company to be in. And so you remember these Kalyanamittas of yours, yeah, this friend of yours. And when you see that the big picture is so positive, then everyone here is worthy of our respect. Everyone here is worthy of our friendship. Everyone here is worthy of, you know, of everything good. And what a wonderful thing that is to have company like this. And then even if they are a little bit irritating, actually it's not that they are irritating, it's just that our habits are different. Yeah? Then you remember this picture that you have built up in your mind of these wonderful people, and then you kind of, that little irritation is nothing. Yeah? It kind of is overridden straight away, and it just disappears, because you remember the good, uh, the overall large picture that is very, very positive. This is how you do things, but to be able to do it, you have to build up in your mind this idea of the positive qualities, yeah? Because it is so easy to forget, and it is so unfortunate sometimes in our world that people tend to dwell on the negative rather than dwelling on the positive. And this is why so much of the Dhamma is said to be to go against the stream, yeah? The stream of the mind is often to kind of head in the wrong direction. So we have to pull it back, and we have to remind ourselves. And this is uh, how this uh, kind of idea works. And there are, I mean, here with a group of people like this, it is uh, quite easy to see the good. It may not all, it's not always as easy, but, uh, you know, a lot of people in the world, you find that there very often people have good qualities. Uh, and you learn to focus on that. You rejoice in those good qualities, yeah? If someone is a little bit generous, if someone does little acts of kindness or whatever, whatever it might be, yeah? And you rejoice in that, wow, isn't that wonderful? It is not a given that people should be kind. Yeah? Not at all a given. It is just we are all conditioned by this world. And depending on how we are conditioned, we might end up being really, people can sometimes end up being quite nasty. Not because they want to, but because the conditioning is so powerful. So it is always marvelous that some people are able to find their way out of this jungle of the world where you're conditioned in all kinds of negative ways and find your way out of this jungle into the open, into the good qualities. That is worth rejoicing in when that happens. This is the idea here, yeah? shifting our attention. Tear off the bad qualities because it's rubbish. It is rubbish because it pollutes your mind. Now, the, one of the interesting questions that comes up when we do this is, well, sometimes people say, well, but is this really being realistic? Yeah, people have bad qualities. If I just focus on the good ones, then surely I'm just deluding myself. Isn't the purpose of life to be, see things as they actually are? Am I really seeing things as they actually are if I think that these people are full of good qualities or whatever? And uh, the answer to that is that, uh, well, first of all, we should, of course, it's important not to deny that there are bad qualities there. If you deny that, uh, we can be taken advantage of. Uh, so it's important to understand that, okay, sometimes people have bad qualities, and then we deal with that in another way by forgiving, by understanding the conditioning, etc., etc. But the main point here is to understand that there isn't any actual reality. There isn't any way that people are. You can take one person, and one person will say, oh, they are wonderful, they are marvelous, they are my best friend, they're a really great person. Another one, that's really a bad person. They're exactly the same person. So who is right? And the answer is there is no right. There's just different perspectives. There's different angles. We, people are not one thing or another. They have all of these different qualities. And because there isn't any right, it means that we have to get away from this idea of seeing the person as they actually are. We're seeing the person from our own biased perspective. It always has to be like that. We can never see the full reality. So the question is not, what is that person? Are they like this or like that? No, the question should be, 
what is a good way of looking at the person so that it makes the spiritual path more powerful. That is the right way of thinking. What is a spiritually advantageous way of looking at this person? That is the right, that is the right question to ask. And of course, the spiritually good way is to look for the good qualities. Yeah, because that is going to make you f- build up good perception inside. It's going to enhance the path. It's going to make the path move forward. And it is also a very positive thing to do anyway. It has all kinds of good consequences, both for yourself and also for the other person. So that is the right way of thinking about other people. Not thinking that we're going to be able to see someone with absolute neutrality. That is actually impossible. But there is another there's other advantage with the idea of seeing the good in others. If we see the good in other people, what tends to happen is that they tend to become better people as a consequence. Yeah, if I see the good in you or you see the good in me, I want to live up to that uh, trust that you put in me. Yeah, if someone says, wow, you are you know, so glad that you are a monk, or I'm so glad that you are a, kind of a, a good Buddhist or whatever it might be, yeah, you want to live up to that trust. So whenever you see the good in someone else, they tend to live up to that, and they tend to move towards becoming better people as a consequence. But if you judge someone else really harshly, and you say, yeah, you are bad, refusing to see the good in that other person, well, very often it's almost like they want to give up, yeah, because you're not going to see the good in me anyway, so what's the point in trying to be good? And then you kind of drag people down by your, by your harshness. So there's actually a gift that we can give to other people, uh, trying always to see the good in them, uh, trying to sort of uh, focus on that. And if you want to say something, if you want to give them a compliment, uh, yeah, this is what you do. You bring out those positive qualities. Uh, this is a gift we give to somebody because it helps them to see the good in themselves. Uh, it helps them to become better people. Uh, we're giving them a chance. We're giving them opportunity. We're not trapping them in that perception of ours uh, and saying, this is the way you are. Bang, you are locked into that and there's no hope for you. There's no way out. So these are some of the uh, ideas, issues around this. And uh, also, uh, one of the things that I should say as well, because this is what I say every time I talk about this sutta, this kind of every, every year. I basically say similar things every year, because these are kind of, to my mind, powerful things. But one of the kind of nice things about the rag-robed bhikkhu, which I haven't really mentioned yet, which I always like to mention, and this is a story from the suttas, a story from the Vinaya Pitaka. For those of you who have heard it before, I apologize, but those of you who haven't, and this might be an interesting little story. And this, the Vinaya is a very interesting piece of work. The Vinaya is all the rules and regulations for the monastics, yeah, the, uh, the bhikkhunis and the bhikkhus. Uh, and uh, there's all kind of weird stories in the, in the Vinaya, and this kind of things that you don't find at all in the suttas. Uh, and there is one story under the rule for stealing. Yeah, there's a, for a monastic to steal is a very serious offense. And there's all these case studies. Yeah, if you steal in different ways, do you fall into the offense or not, depending on all kinds of factors and all kinds of things. It's like a legal text, really, the Vinaya. It's very kind of, it's a law, law text in many ways. And so there is this case of this one monk. Yeah, he's a ragrobe monk, just like we're seeing here. And so ragrobe, one place to find ragrobes for the monastics is the charnel ground. Yeah? The charnel ground is the place where they burn the corpses. Because when a corpse gets carried to the charnel ground, they're usually wrapped in cloth. And whenever there's cloth, the, the ragrobe monk is very happy. So he goes to the charnel ground to see if there's any fresh corpses in the charnel. You don't want the corpse to be too rotten because the cloth gets really disgusting. It has to be fairly fresh, right? So he sees this. This is, kind of, this is, this is the monastic vineyard. If you're interested in this kind of stuff, you should read the monastic vineyard. And, uh, and so he goes to the charnel ground, and there's a very fresh corpse, right? And yeah, okay, cloth. So he starts unwrapping the cloth of this corpse. And as he is unwrapping this <laughs> cloth from this corpse, this corpse happens to be a little bit too fresh, right? So the corpse opens the mouth and says, Don't take my cloth. <laughs> and the monk says, Shut up, you're dead. Yeah, you have no, you have no voice. Yeah, you're dead already. Kind of don't, don't, I don't want to hear about you. And then he kind of keeps on taking the cloth of this corpse. Yeah. 
and then he kind of walks off with the cloth, and then the corpse gets up, yeah? <laughs> and the corpse starts walking after this monk, yeah? and this monk is looking over his shoulder. You're not the corpse, Venable Kallak, I'm just kind of looking in that direction. <laughs> and he walks behind this monk. Yeah? This is why, so this is the first zombie incident in human history, right? We think that zombie movies are a modern kind of invention, but no, the Buddhists were the first. This is one of the strange things. So many things are first, actually, from the Buddhist suttas and the Buddhist vinaya. Yeah, the zombie is one of the things first found in the Buddhist text, nowhere else. And so he walks after this monk, and this monk looking over his shoulder, and the monk starts running. Yeah, the zombie comes after, running after, just like the movies, exactly similar. Anyway, I haven't seen any zombie movies. I'm just guessing here, <laughs> just guessing here. And then he comes to his cutie, slams the door shut just in time, yeah. And just as he slams his door shut, the zombie bang falls on the ground outside, exhausted his last kind of uh, energy, yeah. And that's the end of that corpse, yeah. Kind of the story stops there. Yeah? And then the uh, and then the uh, the monk, yeah, obviously gets a bit of a fright. I'm not sure what happens to the corpse. Maybe he carries it back to the charnel ground, and then he goes to the Buddha and says, "Well, <laughs> venerable sir, this." <clears throat> this happened to me. And then the Buddha lays down a rule. You're not supposed to take cloth from a corpse that is too fresh. Yeah? <laughs> it's, it's interesting, right? There's actually a rule in the monastic vineyard that you should wait till the corpse is kind of cold before you take the cloth. Yeah? If there's still kind of a little bit of heat in the corpse, actually too early. Yeah? So uh, this is what happens when you become a monastic. You get into this kind of stuff. Yeah? <laughs> So that is, uh, that is the first kind of zombie incis- incident in recorded human history. And uh, there are lots of things in the suttas in Vinaya, which is kind of surprising. Yeah? We, we tend to think that these are modern things, and then you look into ancient history, and there is nothing new under the sun. Yeah? Everything is, has been done before. <laughs> and uh, this is kind of very revealing when you start to read these ancient documents, because it makes you less kind of uh, makes you, I mean, we tend to be so self-centered about our society and our age and how we are the best, we have the best technology, we're really advanced, but hold on a minute, it's already there in these ancient texts, yeah? How advanced are we really in our modern society? Well, of course, sure, in certain areas we are, but in other areas, uh, perhaps not. Uh, spiritually, perhaps we have gone backwards, uh, yeah, when you read some of these texts. Uh, I know it's hard to say here. Uh, but uh, this is one of the great useful things about reading ancient texts, this feeling that uh, the world just goes round and round and round. It's just more of the same. We don't really have any basis for being conceited about our modern world. Yeah, we, we should be, it's always good to be a bit humble. Being too conceited is never a very, very good idea. And this is just one little story to uh, kind of make that point. And it's kind of a cool story anyway. I was always shocked when I read this story in the, in the, in the Vinaya Pitaka. So that is the uh, idea of how to shift your uh, attention and uh, what you are shifting it to. You are shifting it to seeing the good qualities in somebody. Yeah? And uh, it's like you are making the person more of a friend. The Pali word for friend is mitta, like a kalyana. Mitta kalyana means like uh, beautiful or good. Yeah? So it literally means a good friend. Uh, you, I think ideally we should translate Kalanimita as spiritual friend, because good friend is a bit too bland, but uh, uh, that's what it means. And mitta, the word mitta friend, is related to the Pali word metta. Yeah, metta is, is, is basically friendliness. That's kind of the root meaning of the idea of metta. We often translate it as loving kindness, which is fine, but uh, it, friendliness also is a perfectly acceptable translation of that word. So, that is the first person. You carry those good qualities in your heart, you shelve them in your heart, uh, and you take them out whenever you need to, because you are feeling a bit of resentment or upset against a particular person. Uh, so, how should you, going on to the next one, how should you get rid of resentment uh, for a person whose behavior by speech is impure, but whose behavior by body is pure? Suppose there was a lotus pond covered with moss and aquatic plants. Aquatic plants. Then along comes a person struggling in the oppressive heat, weary, thirsty, and parched. They would plunge into the lotus pond, 
sweep away the moss and the aquatic plants, uh, drink from their cupped hands, uh, and be on their way. In the same way, at that time, you should ignore that person's impure behavior by speech and focus on their pure behavior by body. That is how to get rid of resentment for that person. So, um, this is almost exactly the same as the previous one, except that they have different good qualities. Yeah? And uh, I guess the idea is just that we need to be flexible with where we look for good qualities. Sometimes you find them here, sometimes you find them there. And I suspect that the idea of speech, conduct and bodily conduct is just a stand-in for any kind of good or bad conduct. That is how I read this. I don't think there is anything particularly significant by, with body and speech. Perhaps there is. I don't know. I, I can't really see it. But anyway... And uh, so here you have this idea of water, yeah, the pond covered with moss and aquatic or algae or whatever it is. And um, the pond is like a person. And of course the moss and the aquatic plants, well these are the bad qualities in that person. Yeah? So then this other person comes along yeah, and you are struggling in the oppressive heat. And the oppressive heat, of course, is your anger. It's, that's your resentment, yeah? Because these things are oppressive qualities. Uh, and they make you hot, yeah? If you are, quite literally makes you hot sometimes. If you are really angry, you have all this energy and you kind of bubble with heat. But it's also hot in the sense of the mind being restless, yeah? This restlessness and agitation of the mind. Uh. And uh, weary, and weary is kind of an interesting idea, is the idea that often when you get angry, you often get weary, especially afterwards. Uh, you feel tired, it's exhausting to be angry. You expend a lot of energy for no purpose whatsoever. Uh, and uh, then you are thirsty, and I think the idea of thirsty here is the idea that you are looking for a solution. If you are wise, you're looking for a solution to the problem. Uh, yeah, so you are thirsty for a solution. How can I get out of this anger? What is the way of dealing with this? And parched, that's probably another way of just saying oppressed by the heat or whatever. So what do you do when you are oppressed by anger? What you do is you plunge into the lotus pond, you sweep away the bad qualities, the moss and the aquatic plants. You sweep it away because again it's rubbish. It is useless. You can't use it for anything good. And then you drink from the pure water underneath. Yeah, you drink in, you imbibe those good qualities of the person. Take them on board. Drinking here is kind of, is, you make them part of you, quite literally. When you drink something, it becomes part of your physical makeup. In the same way, you drink up those good qualities in your mind. You make them part of your mental outlook. And in this way, you carry them with you into the future. It's kind of a nice way of thinking about the idea of uh, taking on board the good qualities of another person. Uh, yeah? uh, ch chucking out the bad qualities and taking on board the good ones. And all you really have to do is to shift your focus. Uh, yeah? Remember the good qualities. Uh, shift it from the bad ones to the good ones. And the moment you shift it, uh, if you know that those good qualities are really worthy of respect, the bad ones disappear just like that. Uh, this is the idea of using wisdom. Yeah? This, this is what I would call wisdom here, shifting your attention in the right way. The other day we were talking about the um, famous uh, sutta on how to calm thoughts, the Vitaka Santana Sutta, uh, the 20th sutta in the middle length sayings. And we we're talking about the five ways of overcoming thoughts. And the first one is exactly this. Yeah? You shift your attention from the bad qualities to the good ones. It's exactly what we're seeing here in that particular sutta. It's very simple, but it takes a bit of practice, obviously, to be able to do it. So let's go on to the third one. <clears throat> and how should you get rid of resentment for a person whose behavior by body and speech is impure, but who gets an openness and clarity of the heart from time to time? Suppose there was a little water in a cow's hoof print. Then along comes a person struggling in the oppressive heat, weary, thirsty, and parched. They might think, yeah, this little bit of water in a cow's hoof print, if I drink it with my cupped hands or a bowl, I will stir it and disturb it. 
making it undrinkable. Why don't I get down on all fours and drink it up like a cow? Then be on my way. So that's what they do. In the same way, at that time, you should ignore that person's impure behavior by speech and body and focus on the fact that they get an openness and clarity of the heart from time to time. That is how to get rid of resentment for that person. So uh, here we have a person who has an openness and clarity of the heart and uh, the Pali words for this are uh, vivadana and uh, what is the other Pali word here? Let's have a look. I have the Pali right here. Very handy. Pasada. Pasada, yeah. Chetaso pasada. So this is the clarity of the heart. Uh, so what do these things mean? They basically mean that you get rid of some of your mental defilements. Yeah, you still have defilements by body and speech, but your mind is pure. There are no defilements in the mind at that time. So here is someone who still has some good qualities, pretty bad, many bad qualities, yeah. The quality, you have to look really, really carefully to see the qualities of someone's mind, yeah, especially if the bodily actions are bad and the speech is bad. So you have to look very carefully. But of course, mental qualities can be seen, yeah. It's one of those interesting things. We kind of marvel at the suttas. We think, yes, yeah, sometimes you can read someone's mind. Wow, that's really cool, read someone's mind. But actually, we read people's minds all the time, yeah, everyone does that. It's just looking at their body language. You can tell whether they are angry, whether they are greedy, or whether they are kind, and all of these kind of things, simply by watching their body language. So we are all mind readers. There's nothing really special about that at all. Actually, a little bit special, but not that special. <laughs> so uh, this is the kind of basic way of reading minds, just watching people's body language. And so people get these good qualities, yeah? and you have to look carefully to see this. Because it is kind of hidden, yeah? hidden behind the facade of negative qualities. And so this shows us how important it is to actually go quite far in order to see other people's good qualities. Yeah? We, we take this kind of to, we, we try our very best to see good things in other people. And this is kind of interesting. Why do we take it so far? Why do we kind of put so much effort into seeing the good qualities in other people? Because sometimes there are maybe people we cannot see any good qualities in, right? Then, of course, we need a different strategy. But as long as there are good qualities there, we should try here. And uh, the reason for that, I think, is that uh, the, having metta towards someone or seeing the good qualities in somebody is always a positive thing. Yeah, it always makes you feel good when you see the good qualities in other people. It is this idea of friendliness, of seeing the good qualities, always lifts you up and overcomes the defilements of the mind. It's always a very powerful thing to see a person's good qualities. And whereas if you don't see any good qualities, then you have to use an entirely different strategy. And the strategy you have to use then is one of compassion. Yeah, if you cannot see any good qualities in somebody, you cannot really have metta. You have to have compassion instead. But the problem with seeing all bad qualities, it's very easy to get a bit depressed about that, yeah? because what you're seeing is a negative things. you're seeing something which isn't very nice. So compassion is a bit more tricky than metta. Metta is more, it, it is always basically positive, whereas compassion, you can easily veer into negative qualities, seeing the suffering in somebody, seeing the negative qualities, and it's kind of, you know, you have to be very careful there not to go too far. Yeah? And in fact, there is a, it's quite well known in the Buddhist world that there are people who take this compassion practice too far. And they practice compassion to the point where they lose all their energy. Because they take on board the whole, all the suffering of all the beings in the world. And instead of making it into compassion, it becomes an empathy that drowns your mind in kind of those, that suffering in the world. And you become so drowned, dry, dr it drowns out all your good qualities, uh, and you end up being paralyzed by, this, by all of this suffering in the world. And this is where you're taking it too far. You have lost your balance. And that is why, I think, why the Buddha, or here, when the Basariputta, takes, takes it almost to the limit, the idea of seeing the good qualities in somebody, yeah? The vivarana citta. 
the mind free of defilements. You see even the very simple good qualities in another person's heart. And this is uh, why this is so important. And this fits with how these things are talked about in the suttas. If you know the Brahma Viharas, the divine abidings or the sublime abidings in the suttas, yeah, the four divine abidings, for those of you not familiar with this, yeah, metta, loving kindness, karuna, compassion, mudita, sympathetic joy, upeka, equanimity. Yeah, these are the four divine abidings according to the suttas, and they always occur in that sequence. Even if they are explained in detail, always occur in that sequence. And I think the reason for that, of course, is that Every sequence in Buddhism has a, has a reason. Nothing is random. The Buddha doesn't say random stuff. Everything is svakato, well expounded. And metta is first because it is the most important one. Then comes karuna, compassion. Yeah? So metta is the one we should focus the most on. And when you start reading the suttas very broadly, you start to realize that actually metta is something you find in many, many different places. You have the Anisangsa Sutta, the benefits of metta. You have the Kakachupama Sutta, the simile of the saw, Majjhima 21, which is all about metta practice. And these are the, this is the, you have the Kosambia Sutta, Majjhima 48, where the Buddha talks about the loving kindness by body and speech as well, yeah? not just by mind, how we treat other people well by body and speech. So this is a common thing in the suttas. When it comes to compassion, it is also fairly common, but less common than metta. When it comes to mudita, well, actually, then it becomes very rare yeah, in the suttas. It isn't spoken about that much. Again, it's important to get the sequence right. So we try really hard. Yeah? You try like a cow. You drink that tiny bit of, you know, tiny bit of good qualities, you focus on that. Uh, you don't go too far that way, too far that way, because then you see the bad qualities uh, and it leads, maybe, maybe you get upset or whatever. So you rejoice in the bad qualities. You rejoice, wow, isn't it wonderful that people have good qualities in this world? Uh, and you really kind of build that up into something very positive. Uh. So now let's move on to the fourth person. Uh. And uh, this is the person where you cannot see any good qualities. So how should you get rid of resentment for a person whose behavior by body and speech is impure and who does not get an openness and clarity of the heart from time to time? Suppose a person was traveling along a road and they were sick, suffering gravely ill. And it was a long way to a village, whether ahead or behind and they didn't have any suitable food or medicine or a competent carer or someone to bring them within a village. Then another person traveling along the road sees them and thinks of them with nothing but compassion, kindness and sympathy. Oh, may this person get suitable food and medicine or a competent carer or someone to bring them within a village. Why is that? so that they don't come to ruin right here. In the same way, at that time, you should ignore the person's impure behavior by body, by speech, and the fact that they don't get an openness and clarity of the heart from time to time, and think of them with nothing but compassion, kindness, and sympathy. Oh, may this person give up bad conduct by way of body, speech, and mind, and develop good, good conduct by body, speech, and mind. Why is that? So that when their body breaks up after death, they are not reborn in a place of loss, a bad place, the underworld, and hell. That is how to get rid of resentment for that person. So um, here, there is nothing good to see. Yeah, all you can see are bad qualities in this person. And when you cannot see any good qualities, well, then you have to do something else. You cannot really have metta. Metta depends on the idea of seeing goodness in someone else. So here you have to have an alternative strategy. And you can see here, obviously, you're having compassion. Yeah? That is the point of this thing. You have compassion and sympathy for this particular person. Now, the first point to make about this is that to remember that just because you cannot see any good qualities in the person does not mean they haven't got good qualities. Remember the limitations of your own perceptions, your limitations of your own ability to 
understand other people. Yeah? So the right attitude to have when you cannot see the good qualities in somebody is not to kind of put them in that box once and for all, this is a bad person, but again to understand that this is, could very well be, most likely is, the limitations of your own perception. So you have the possibility of changing your mind in the future. So you can actually see the good qualities at some point in the future. And again, this is what I was saying in the beginning. This is a gift to the other person, because you are allowing them the potential to change. You haven't written them off once and for all. It is an act of kindness to give people that potential to change later on and to give them the benefit of the doubt. And then when they change, okay, then good on you for changing and for becoming, for showing us another side of you, all these other good qualities. So this is always an act of kindness, not to kind of box people in and kind of write them off once and for all, but give them that opportunity in the future. This is the first thing to understand. This is just your perception that you're dealing with. It is not actually a reality that you are dealing with. And then once you find it very hard to see the good qualities in a person, well then the right way of doing this is not to get angry again, but the right way is to understand that this person has a problem. If it really is the case that they have all bad qualities, well, they're heading towards a disaster, both in this life and also in future lives. Yeah, a person with lots of bad qualities tend to feel really bad about themselves. You may not even be visible to you, but guaranteed, behind the surface, they're going to feel really bad about themselves. And of course, the consequences of being bad, well, they have really bad, really bad consequences once you pass away from this life and you get reborn somewhere else in the future. So you, you turn the table. Instead of thinking about me, it is so easy to become self-centered when other people are unpleasant. It's so easy to think that it's about me. Yeah? They are behaving badly towards me. And we are all self-centered to some extent. It is natural because we feel the world like you know, we are closer to ourselves than, than we are to anyone else. So of course we're going to be self-centered to some extent. But it's also a very painful thing to be self-centered. It is kind of a very small world. Yeah, it's me against the world outside. And this is a very painful state of existence. So instead of allowing that sense of self and feeling that you are under attack when someone else is behaving in a bad way, you start to look at it in this way. Instead, actually, they have a problem. They are suffering enormously from this kind of bad behavior. And you start to have compassion for the other person instead. It's extraordinarily powerful. Yeah, you're taking away the uh, kind of this sense of self in all of this. The reason why we get upset with somebody when they behave badly is because they are doing bad things against me. We're seeing personalities in this. We're seeing egos. We're seeing selves. But actually, that is a wrong perspective anyway. It's not really about them and you. It is about our conditioning. And when we are conditioned in a certain way, we behave in certain ways in the world. They are conditioned in a certain way. They come into your present presence, and then they behave in a certain way because of all the conditioning happening. It's not about you. It's not about them. Take the self out of this. Once you take the self out of things, another possibility opens up. The idea of compassion becomes possible. And you turn the table. Instead of feeling the pain right there and then, instead of blaming them and getting angry, you have compassion instead. And all it takes is this tiny shift in perception. Looking at this other person, instead of looking at them as a perpetrator who is annoying you, look at them as a victim of their own bad qualities. That is the whole shift in focus. And this is the truth, yeah? We are all essentially victims of our own personality. Our own personality is just habits, things that we have built up over a long period of time, going into the past and this life and past lives. And when we are all victims of our own personality, of our own habits, of our own inability to do what is right, even though we want to do what is right, we know this is true, right? If, if you, even if you make a very firm determination always to be kind, you're going to fail. We know that already. Why are you going to fail? Because your habits are so strong that you cannot overcome them merely by a determination, determination to be kind. So our habits 
is a problem. Uh, this is what traps us uh, in this world. Uh, and for that reason, we should be kind to others and also to ourselves, uh, understanding it takes time to overcome these habits. With reconditioning, with practicing the spiritual path in the right way, over time you can change. But you cannot change like that. Uh, that's impossible. Uh, the person you are right now is a result of all the conditioning from the past. Uh, so in this way, you can forgive everyone. Uh, you can understand, I have a very... I think it's very obvious that almost we all know that kindness is equivalent to happiness. I think almost everyone in the world wants to do the right thing, wants to be kind. Yeah, no one wants to do evil stuff. And if we do evil stuff, it's because of conditioning, it's because of delusion, because we are walking in darkness, we don't understand what is going on. And in all those cases, compassion is always the right answer in all of those cases. So uh, this is how you then change some of the most difficult things in life, yeah? some of the most difficult people. Uh, I don't know who is your favorite uh, kind of difficult person, uh, but um, uh, you can now look at that person in a new way. Uh. So um, the challenging issue here, of course, is that it feels like we are in charge. It feels like we choose to do things in a certain way. It feels like, you know, we... When you are, get upset with somebody or you make a mistake, the reason you blame yourself is because it feels like you did it. You chose to do that bad thing. And then you blame yourself as a consequence. And this is precisely the delusion of a self. This is exactly a very important part of this aspect of the sense of self. Yeah? And the Buddha says very clearly, well, actually, there is no such self. You don't choose your choices. Your choices are conditions. Yeah, sankara are non-self. Volition is non-self. Volition is an outcome of cause and conditions. So you need to, the more you see that, the more you can forgive yourself, the more you can forgive others. So we need to come, have, that's where the idea of faith and confidence in this Buddhist teachings come in. Yeah, okay, I cannot see it properly because my sense of self is still very much, very firm and very much there. But you start looking at it and you start to see how much of your Choices in the world actually are conditioned by the past. The more you see that, the more forgiving you can be of yourself whenever you make a mistake. So this is the idea of compassion, of having sympathy, seeing the person as a sick person. Yeah, isn't that beautiful? You see someone as sick when they are when they actually do bad things. It's a very powerful way of reconditioning your entire outlook of people in the world. Let's come to the last one. How should you get rid of resentment for a person whose behavior by body and speech is pure and who gets an openness and clarity of the heart from time to time? Suppose there was a lotus pond with clear, sweet, cool water clean, with smooth banks, delightful, and shaded by many trees. Then along comes a person struggling in the oppressive heat, weary, thirsty, and parched. They would plunge into the lotus pond to bathe and drink, and after emerging, they would sit or lie down right there in the shade of the trees. So here we are dealing with the saintly person, yeah, all good qualities. And uh, then, of course, still people get angry with the saintly people, yes, yeah? so you still kind of come around, you are f- oppressed by the heat, weary, weary, thirsty, and parched. But uh, this time there is no moss, there are no algae and aquatic plants on that pond, nothing to sweep away. All you have to do is dive into that pond, yeah, and the waters are clean, sweet, cool, uh, with smooth banks all around. It has all good qualities, and you don't drink up that uh, uh, water, and you kind of bathe in those good qualities, and of course you overcome your anger very easily when a person is so pure, as it is in this case. Yeah, you, when you see someone who is very beautiful, yeah, very powerful, good qualities, yes, you might get upset for a short time, because everyone upsets us. That's just the way things are. The Buddha probably would upset us as well, if the Buddha was around. There certainly were people in the suttas who were upset by the Buddha uh, in a number of places. Uh, 
uh, but still you overcome it quite easily because the good qualities are so powerful huh? and then this beautiful idea yeah the even the environment around this person is beautiful yeah the smooth banks around the delightful shaded by many trees yeah I'm not sure entirely how to interpret this but the idea is that if you come into the vicinity of somebody who is a good person, just hanging around them, being with them, feels nice. Yeah? It's like, uh, uh, you know, I, I, for me the example that I like the most is always Ajahn Ganha, because Ajahn Ganha is that kind of person who people just sit around and they don't want to go. Yeah? They just want to sit there and they kind of bathe in the kind of aura of, some, of Ajahn Ganha. And they kind of, oh, I can really relax now, no one is judging me. Oh, Ajahn Ganha, give me more metta. And they kind of, he kind of beams out and you kind of sit there kind of receiving the metta of this person. And you don't want to go, you just want to sit there. And peop- that's what, exactly what people do, they just hang around. Yeah? And uh, eventually, well, eventually you have to go anyway. So eventually you realize, actually, this is not the path. The path is you have to develop these qualities in yourself. This is like the smooth banks around. Yeah? You kind of open your heart to receive some of these kind of vibes from some of these special people. And so you hang around. Yeah? And then you become a disciple, of course, of this person because they are special. And of course, here, the prime example here of this kind of person is obviously the Buddha himself. Yeah? And you gain faith and confidence because you see all of these good qualities. And uh, so uh, this is, uh, this is um, I think, a very important part. We talked about this before, about the qualities of the Buddha. Vidya, chadana, sampano, yeah? endowed with knowledge and conduct. Conduct is the idea that you can see the awakening or the spiritual qualities in another person to some extent. Yeah? This is what is happening here. Someone is really awakened. You can actually feel it. You can see it. And this is why uh, it says, I, have, I didn't actually read out the very last paragraph. Let me read that out first of all. Yeah? In the same way, at that time, you should focus on that person's pure behavior by way of body and speech. And on the fact that they get an openness and clarity of the heart from time to time. That is how to get rid of resentment for that person. Relying on a person who is impressive all around, the mind becomes confident. Yeah, so you actually, by seeing these good qualities, by understanding what is going on, you gain a sense of confidence. Because a person who is, has developed the path all the way becomes a living testament to the fact that the path works. Yeah, when you see a person who is really special, uh, when you see the qualities of kindness, the qualities of forgiveness, the qualities of peace, the qualities of wisdom, the qualities of generosity, the consistency, the non-self feeling of this person, uh, yeah, when you see that, you think, wow, there's something here which isn't normal in the world. Nobody is like this. How is it possible to always be kind in this way? How is it possible to always be energetic, always beaming? Uh, it's like Ajahn Gandhi, he's always got energy, yeah? How is it possible? And he's doing all of these things, talking to these people. Then he goes back to his kuti in the evening, yeah? he does a bit of super, super power meditation, he comes out beaming again, yeah? This is how he works. And if he gets a bit tired, okay, I'm a bit tired now, so he disappears, and soon enough he comes out beaming again. Yeah? It's kind of extraordinary. Yeah? When you see that, you know or you, get the, you don't know yet because it's not the direct knowledge, but you get the feeling that there is a potential in a human being that is way beyond what we normally see. This opens your eyes to another possibility. This is why this idea of vidya, chadana, sampano is so important, because our conduct or the conduct of people who are like this, it is changed, it is different. You gain a glimpse of enlightenment by seeing people like that. It says in the suttas that the eye, you know, the very fact that we have arahants in the world is very important. Because just the fact of seeing an arahant, it says in the sutta, just seeing them is an eye-opener for most people. And it gives you access to a different reality, yeah? a preliminary access. that then you can develop, then you can do something within your own life. So eventually you actually see this directly through your own insight and through your own understanding. Yeah? This is the idea of uh, coming to this beautiful pond yeah, with the beautiful trees. You hang around, you become a disciple. Uh, and being a disciple, of course, means 
essentially what it means is that you practice accordingly. A mendicant should use these five methods to completely get rid of resentment when it has arisen towards any one. So there you are. That is the uh, sutta for this morning. And uh, have a nice lunch. And we'll see you back again at 3 o'clock this afternoon. Here.